0: Hi, I'm Luke Campbell. I work for a small wine company, and he is Luke Morris, and...
1: Uh, I'm just back from Germany.
0: And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine, talking all things wine and booze, sometimes popular culture, and think what to drink, when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. Hi,
1: Campbell. Have you missed me?
0: I have missed you, mate. I've missed your scintillating rep in the world of wine <laughs> and all things culture.
1: Okay, and cool.
0: I have been longing for this chat, oh. actually, because you've been traveling the world, um, you know, yeah. and, and seeing places that I only wish I could have been. So we'll get to that a little bit later. Okay. But what we have for you and the listening audience is Luke's Talk Wine, Season 4, Episode 11. And a couple of the topics we're going to hit today, listening audience, if you don't know how this works and you're new to the podcast, what happens is Luke and I throw a couple of topics at each other, we toss them around, they might have a cultural bent or they might even have popular culture ideals at their epicentre and we also might even discuss what we've been drinking and perhaps a question And that's exactly as today's episode is going to go. So the topics we're going to bounce around is Luke Morris.
1: Yeah. Brand brand, brand loyalty.
0: And does it exist? Yeah. And beyond that, you've just been in Germany, as you mentioned. I want to talk to you about drinks of the world and what is an Australian drink.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, and okay. then we've got a question actually here uh andrew andrew from cremorne cremorne in victoria writes why isn't more rosé of... let me start that again why is not more rosé made out of Pinot noir which is a good question andrew but as is always, as the star of the pod, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your week world, your world this week? How? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: what's been happening? I yeah, I, I was over in. You say the world. I was I was just in Germany mostly. I went across to England. Um,
0: I was going to say you wouldn't have flown direct to Germany. You would have had to go by a Charles de Gaulle or Heathrow or somewhere.
1: No, I went direct. Uh, you, you can go direct to Berlin, and you can go direct to Hamburg, and I went direct to Berlin. Um, and uh, did the Berlin Marathon. Um, I didn't pay too much attention to the world of wine while I was in Berlin, to be honest with you, because I had my sights set on um on the long jog. Uh, but then afterwards, I then had my sights set on a, a a refreshing beer, to be honest. Um. I did go into a wine shop. I, I, I snagged myself a bottle of spat lace and, um, and another mystery wine that I, I brought back to Australia that um, uh, we may uh, consume at some point, Luke Campbell. Um, mm, I like it. And what else did I do? Uh, and I ran across to England uh, to visit my uh, sister and nephew and brother-in-law and uh, it was, it was a little bit funny cause when I got there, I said to the, um, I ran into a wine shop that I used to work at and new staff there, they didn't know who I was, that doesn't matter. But, uh, they treated me like anybody off the street, which was fun. Um, explaining to me, you know, the wines that I used to sell to people. So that was cool. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I, I had a budget, my, my, um, mother was there and she gave me 20 pounds to buy a bottle of sparkling for us to have as a, um, a celebratory drink with my sister. Yep. And, uh, the, the guy behind the counter, I uh, said, I've got this to, to buy. What, what should I get from the range? What can I afford? What should I get? Um, and, I let's throw it open to you, Luke Campbell. Where would you go, uh, being someone who's, who's worked over in the old Dart, yeah. You had 20 quid so, tw- tw- in your pocket. Where, where 20 quid you
0: you is what about 60, 20 or 50, 60, 60-odd 60 bucks Australian. That that would probably get you, um, that'd get you a half-decent non-vintage champagne. It would get you several bottles of Prosecco. It would probably get you a couple of good bottles of Carver. Uh, so I'd probably start there. I reckon English sparkling's probably still out of that budget.
1: Yes, well actually that, that that's true. I, um, I think all of those were on the cards. He did say I could go a, a, a prosecco if I wanted, but uh, he he said that uh, English sparkling wouldn't be really worth it at that price. No, like he says he, he said it's good, but it's also a little bit. Uh, Pricey for what for what it is, which I think's a reflection of um, the amount of vineyard and demand versus quality at the moment. Really for that wine, um, mm-hmm. I know you. What did what was was it? Sorry, they got a GI or, or some sort yeah. of.
0: Sorry's got a GI, and I think oh. there is there is. A, I heard this stat just recently. Is a. 100 you keep talking actually i'm going to look that up i think it's 137 vineyards it was an astounding fact you keep talking 137
1: vineyards doesn't sound like a lot of vineyards that sounds very small for the uh well, we'll say uk wine industry so that includes wales and scotland and other parts um People get yep. touchy when you start saying Northern Ireland and other things. Anyway, um, yeah, true. but no, none of, none of those wines were the ones that he he, he, he recommended. In the end, he recommended Cremont de Bourgogne. Oh, wow!
0: Which is, At 20 quid, it must have been all right. But Cremont de Bourgogne,
1: he said, for the, for the money, you'll get a better, better, uh, champagne quality wine. And I gotta tell you, taste buds around the um. The glasses that were served on the night, plenty of happy people. Everyone, everyone thought, gee, that's a that's a pretty good drop. And it was. I thought, I want to book on here. I can't remember who the producer was off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, really enjoyable.
0: Yeah, right. So, according to Decanter, the British wine industry has increased 74% in the last three years. In three three years ago, so, 2020, there were 500 commercial vineyards.
1: Sounds like a lot of retired lawyers to me, but anyway, keep going.
0: Today, there's 943 vineyards.
1: 943 spread across, vineyards?
0: Spread across Great Britain. Three, Nearly 4,000 hectares are now under vine, and there is some 165 wineries. There you go.
1: 160, oh, okay, 165 wineries. Wineries. For 900-odd. Yep. Uh, vineyards yeah all right story checks yeah there. so there
0: you go so i wouldn't have gone with Cremonte begonia uh i'm glad somebody else did
1: why what what, um, what don't you what, what what is your snooty uh opinion on the Cremonte begonia
0: oh no i think there's some great value to be had but at 20 quid you could probably so 20 quid aka you know 60 odd australian dollars over there, you could probably get nice brute, non-vintage. You know, like from one of the medium houses. I reckon.
1: Yeah, I don't think that I don't think the shop had a, a large range of NV champagnes. Mm. But um, you're still—I mean, you're saying sixty dollars. I think twenty quid buys you closer to the fifty-dollar mark these days. Oh, $50, and, There you go. All right. Yeah, and and you'll find something like that in Australia. But I don't, yeah, you know, I don't know what you'd get over there. I didn't look around. I didn't shop around. I went to the old shop that I used to work at, Reavers yeah. Wine, Reavers of Nottingham. For anyone interested, and um, uh, really good business, and um, they're very specially with what they do, uh, so, but especially and also um, good, good, good products across the range. Uh, that's a plug for a business I'm no longer employed by. <laughs> It can be really hard to justify opening a bottle of wine from the cellar on a Tuesday night, when all you want is one glass. And that's why we've started Unbottled Wines. We're delivering seasonally curated, ultra-premium wines from acclaimed Australian winemakers. These are wines that have never before seen the inside of a box, and may never again. Why a box? Because the box keeps wine fresh for up to 40 days after it's opened, unlike the bottle, which goes off after three or four. So if you would like to be able to drink exceptional wine one glass at a time, check out Unbottled Wines. Use the code VINIFIED at checkout and save
0: 10%. Well, moving on from those ads, um, we have, I this. it occurred to me, you know, you're in Germany and you might have wanted to, you know, dive into a. You know, as you said, you wanted to dive into a refreshing beer. Germany's like the home of Rieslings. It is Berlin, oh, I, guess, I guess you didn't quite get, you said you didn't get into the wine scene. I don't know if Berlin's oh, not too the deep. wine capital of the world, but it's certainly, um, not, you don't have to go too far to find yourself in a wine region from Berlin. But yeah. brands and brand loyalty. Like, well, actually, that is one of the topics for this afternoon. But first up, why don't we start with drinks? Drinks of the world. Oh, okay. You yeah. mentioned you mentioned German beer. Yeah. Um you know, like France has Beaujolais Nouveau. We've covered oh. Spain and sangria in several other episodes. But drinks of the world, what are some of the drinks of the world and what what is an Australian drink? You can't say fosters like if we're comparing it to a French Beaujolais drink. What, what what does an Australian drink? This this came about. I'll tell you how this came about. Okay, it's it's in a question. A question came up in a presentation I was recently recently doing uh, as at a corporate engagement, and it was like the 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 question was, oh, if you, if you could drink anything in the world, what would you drink? And I said, oh well, I said why? And they said, no, anything from anywhere in the world. So, and I said, oh, Spanish sherry. And they said, oh, all right, well, you know, what's an Australian drink? And I actually couldn't answer. And I it immediately, I immediately thought of yourself being in Germany. You know, Germany has they're known for their beer, even more so to their riesling. Um, what what drinks of the world? Give me some. You know, what's um? I think Italy has amaro. Like what? Yeah.
1: Oh, I think you, what you it sounds like you're referring to is basically stereotypes, which is, you know, they're, they're, I had to do a workplace uh, training thing that said stereotypes are incorrect. And I was like, no, stereotypes are, are true. That's why they're stereotypes. stereotypes. Like, they're, they're, they're just a generalisation that don't apply to every individual person, but, you know, they apply on a sort of a mass level. Um, so Uh, The stereotype of Germany, yeah, you're right, beer. The stereotype of Italy is things probably, I mean, from my circle, I think of old Italians, I think of grappa. Uh, Oh, yeah. I think of Mexicans, I think of tequila. And the the funny thing is, when you start thinking about that sort of stuff, you then, okay, let's reflect it back on Australia. And I... It gets more muddied because you're closer to the flame. Like a Mexican who's a real Mexican might be thinking, oh, everyone everyone assumes it's tequila, but it's actually something else. Mezcal, yeah. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what it really is for people living there. And so for you and me, it's probably harder for us to say what's the atypical Australian drink, but for someone in – um. Uh, Japan or England or you know uh, I was going to say Saudi Arabia they don't drink very much in Saudi Arabia let's go let's no. think of somewhere else Mexico, um they might look at Australia and say, uh, sorry Luke Campbell yeah Fosters is what we think of when we think of Australia we think of beer drinking Fosters, and that is the atypical drink of Australians. Yeah right. But, but I
0: mean, we, we obviously drink here closer to the flame is a great analogy. We obviously drink quite diversely, um, you know whether whether it's whether it's beer or mineral water or aquavit or you know wine. We obviously drink
1: yeah.
0: diversely. But yeah, I wonder what it is. Um, what what would Polish you drink? Polish people that's drink Australian... vodka. Russian people oh, God, drink
1: vodka. Uh, if I was on a night out in Australia. There's definitely like most places of beer. They can't. They, they've got wine bars. If you're thinking of that sort of libation, I don't know. Oh, do you know what it is? Here we go. Yeah, espresso martinis. Ooh. Like the rest of the world probably wouldn't think Australia equals espresso martinis, but if you go out to any bar or club at the moment, you'll find an espresso martini somewhere in someone's hand. Somewhere in someone's hands, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Somewhere in in the in, on a table, somewhere in the back of a toilet, somewhere. Yes.
0: Yes. Well, the only one that I came up with. Oh, okay. Was was ginger beer, either oh, alcoholic okay. or non-alcoholic. <laughs> I think that is pretty close to a cultural icon for an Australian drink.
1: Okay, you're not so going to go France, sparkling red. <laughs>
0: well, is is that is I know it's cult, as culturally important, but is it as much of an icon in popular culture as a ginger beer?
1: Probably not. You probably won't. Nah.
0: Right. So France has Beaujolais Nouveau, and we have a schooner of ginger beer or a Bundy, <laughs> bottle of Bundaberg shandy. Ginger
1: beer. A shandy. A shandy. Mate.
0: Hey, I was was in Tasmania recently. (laughs) I was in Tasmania judging, actually. I was very, very... You were at the the
1: Shandy judging. I was at
0: a a bar in Tasmania, and a gentleman, a very esteemed gentleman, walked to the bar and ordered a Shandy. And the bar staff said, oh, I can't make that. And she looked at me directly, knowing that I was a wine judge, and I was standing at the bar with this other gentleman who wasn't a wine bar. And I just politely said, I think you can make that. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I don't really know what it is. And I said, oh, that's all right. And before I could say this is what it is, the gentleman said, just put a little bit of lemonade in the bottom of the glass and top it up with beer, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and this young lady, she did very well, actually. She'd never heard of a shandy, nor had she poured one.
1: Um, well, so... she managed to add some lemonade <laughs> to some beer, and it was an eye-opener. Uh, but it was
0: quite funny. It was an eye-opener, right? I haven't. One, I haven't been somewhere that they uh, serve shandies, and two, I haven't been in a, an establishment that uh, has poured one for a while, but uh, or seen one ordered for that matter. But this gentleman, a yeah. uh, half beer, half lemonade, he was doing beautifully. He was just um, uh, he was concerned for the he was more concerned for the bar staff than what I was. I can assure you,
1: it is it yeah, is traditionally 50 fifty, isn't it? Like it he is. said, a, he it said is. a little bit of lemonade, but yeah, it's 50 yeah. Uh, I
0: think he was probably very conservative, but uh, yeah, it is fifty-fifty, right? But drinks of the world. So France has got Beaujolais, Italy has uh, got, got champagne.
1: Let's, let's not forget oh, that. Yes. other drinks. Oh yes, champagne, or champagne,
0: champagne,
1: Burgundy. Mex- Mex- Mexico's got
0: tequila. Um, Spain's sangria, and Australia. Do we settle there? Ginger beer. Ginger beer is a fairly good one. That's the only one I
1: could come up with. I kind of just say South Africa has. I want to say oh. I want to say cognac because is it no cognac is it uh, Chenin Blanc was planted for cognac production wasn't it? But it I don't was think they make a lot some... of. Uh, or was it Armagnac? It was but,
0: it was hellishly
1: planted for one of them, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I can't think of a, a, a South African drink other than what is it? Red Ribbon. I think it is. Red Stripe. Red Might Stripe be yeah.
0: Yeah. But is that that synonymous?
1: Moonshine in America?
0: Moonshine in America, yeah. Can you
1: actually get moonshine anywhere?
0: I bet you could in America. You just can't hear.
1: Yeah, okay. New Zealand and Sauvignon Blanc? Yep. See, the New Zealanders would probably argue that they don't drink a lot of Sauvignon Blanc, but the rest of the world thinks that that's all that grows underneath their feet.
0: True. Anyway, yeah. Ireland would be Bailey's Irish Cream.
1: <laughs> Guinness, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah, go, Guinness. Yeah, yeah. Go back to the drawing board. The Murphys and the Guinnesses of the world would be shaking their fists at you. Campbell. Yeah, they would be too. Scottish should name. should know that.
0: Should know that. Yeah. Yeah. So drink to the world. I think it's interesting when you when you drink down literally and figuratively, what are they? And they are some good ones today there. But um, yeah, it occurred to me what Australia drinks. So we'll leave it there on
1: the vote's not in Yeah,
0: The vote's not in anyway. But yeah, if you've got an opinion, ladies and gentlemen, you can get in contact with us. How do people get in contact with us, Luke?
1: Um, they send somebody on a global trotting Uh, expedition where they travel from door to door throughout the known universe or or at least uh, Earth or maybe just focus on Australia until they knock on one of our doors. And if that's too much legwork, you could always just email Luke. Is it Luke's? It's Luke's. Luke's. At Luke's. No, Luke's Talk Wine. (laughs) Not all of that. Just the the last part. Luke's Talk Wine at gmail.com.
0: You're out of practice, Luke Morris, been globe trotting the world. Yeah. Which brings me talking about the world, which brings me to our next topic this afternoon, which is all about brand loyalty. When I Mm -hmm. grew up, you know, people had brand loyalty, you know, they went to Might of 10 of a Saturday because that was their local hardware. They drank, you know. VB Maybe. or yeah. Carlton, because that was their beer yeah. and they drank it for their life. But now, in, with our wine goggles on, is there brand loyalty? And I'd love to hear from the listeners does brand loyalty still exist? Like, do you and I have both worked in bottle shops, and I used to see it. People would come in week in, week out, and they'd buy the Langmiles Three Gardens GSM or they'd buy the St. Hallets. Faith, or they buy the same bottle of you know Clover Hill sparkling week in, week out. I'm not sure that same loyalty to a brand exists now. Luke Morris, what say you?
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because you know you got to define terms sometimes, and brand loyalty, I I think refers to rather than I think it's trust of the brand name. So rather rather than someone going in there and buying. Uh, St. Hallett faith every week. They trust St. Hallett. So if they were to drink something not the faith, they might step up into the Blackwell or they might step up from the Blackwell to the old block and they're sticking to St. Hallett. They need to try a Cabernet. They'll find a St. Hallett Cabernet because they trust the brand of St. Hallett. Um, and I think, or maybe maybe or beyond that, it might be that they trust the, the faith, the brand of um, faith from St. Hallett, every vintage. So they don't question whether or not 2020 is going to be as good as 2019 because they trust it. So they're loyal to that. Um, And I think, yes, I think there's still a lot of trust uh, to wineries. I see it um, all the time. People will buy uh, the same winery, over and over again, um, almost regardless of vintage, almost regardless of wine, they'll um, they'll stick to it because there is, maybe it's because I work in an online space mm-hmm. and people are committing to six packs or a dozen at a time. And so the uh, even though there's ways to uh, lower the risk, there is that still perceived risk of, uh, I've invested in something and so I'm worried about the risk of this you know, six bottles turning up and me not liking them. So to lower that risk, how do you lower the risk? You have to have some trust in it and customers either trust me as someone who knows what to recommend or if they don't trust me, which is fine, they trust the brand. And that's being having that loyalty to just send me another dozen of x even though it's a new vintage and it's a it's a different wine to the last one that i really enjoyed i really enjoyed the last one so i'll buy another dozen of this new one it's sight unseen and yeah I, th- I think there's plenty of brand loyalty around i think you're right that people are um there, there is some willingness to try new things but i i i, I I think it's just a generational thing. I think people were trying to find their own brands to um, get behind, and that's why some of the old brands aren't as survive aren't as strong as they used to be, because of just a an ethos in either they they they, they broke that loyalty by producing some wines and went up to scratch, or there's just a a difference in the market and the shifting market is eroding. What was safe ground ground for them? It's an interesting
0: fact. Like I, I, I think you you say about their those brands that you know the aforementioned brands, whatever, whatever they be, in the past they were they might have been premium brands and they had a nice niche consumer consumer base. But then they expanded, and Ie, you know, the faiths a great example. All of a sudden, they were making a a faith. Maybe it was called the game cut game, or whatever gamekeeper, gamekeeper, keeper. And, and that was just going to be for the supermarket change. But if you went to a restaurant, you could still get the faith, or vice versa. It got a little bit muddy there in the end. Do you think people just they didn't they didn't drop off the brand, so to speak? They just decided to drink something else from the brand other than the faith because I couldn't find her on a wine list anymore.
1: Uh yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe you've also seen the deterioration of the brand. Someone like uh Gieson is a terrific example because yeah. Geeson flooded the Australian market with Samuel Blanc. And, uh, and and maybe Australian wine in general over in England is is a is another example again because you become this, you have this reputation for sunshine in a bottle in in England from, from Australia or Samyon Blanc from Geeson, um, uh, sunshine in a bottle in England from Australia, yeah, or um, Blanc from New Zealand in Australia. And then, uh, sticking to the Geeson analogy, Geeson has sort of stopped supplying. Um, as much sauvignon blanc to Australia as they used to, because what they yeah. really want to be branded for and known for is what they're known for over in, in many other parts of the world, which is their pinot noir and chardonnay. Like that's that's what they really wanted to hang their hat on. But I remember tasting those wines and them being great, but then trying to convince people to buy them because you're going from you know a a, a twenty dollars sauvignon blanc, if that to try and recommend a $40 plus Pinot Noir and people saying, hang on, that brand is just makes cheap Saint Blanc. Why would I, what's this more expensive product for? And so it just creates this, and, and, and the the reverse can be true. If you, if you create this image of your brand being fantastic and then you you sell cheap stuff through restaurants, um, and people taste that wine and be thinking, "Oh, actually, their wines aren't as good as I th- used to think they were." And so, yeah. it deteriorates that, as you said, brand loyalty because it deteriorates the trust, or it's hard to build that trust because you're going in the other direction. Yeah,
0: yeah, it, it's it, it's it's tough. It's tough going, isn't it? Like you and I, you know, I guess from within, we're not the target audience. But I always like drinking different, you know, something different. I always like going back and and just I, I love walking into a wine store where I don't know the brands because it means I can try something different. Yeah. Um if 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 it was gin, different story. I just want London dry that tastes like gin. As we've covered before. <laughs> but so I don't I I I have a brand loyalty when it comes to the gin or the whiskey, but uh, wine there you go. I I don't yeah. So I don't have I don't have it to wine. <clears throat> I'd be really interested to hear from the listeners, well, I might even later on in the week, I might even do maybe a poll out on our Insta stories or something. Just try and ask: Is brand loyalty dead? I'm just, I'm very interested in this because when I was doing some research for this afternoon's um, soirée here, I found out that in in Europe, or in America, firstly, consumers. Um their wine had the lowest level of loyalty with only 20%, 20% 27% of consumers buying one or mostly the same brand in Europe it was a little bit higher marginally higher and Europe as in mainland Europe France Italy Germany Spain was surveyed at 35% uh and knowing that basically you know a lot of french wine and a lot of spanish wine is Consumed domestically, that would probably con- uh, uh, skew those um, survey results. But I wonder—I just wondered what it was in Australia. I don't see that brand loyalty. When I write a wine list, I don't see big brands getting picked off the list, and so, so it cannibalises the other list. Like it, in years gone by, when when we wrote a wine list, whether it was oh. myself or one of our sommeliers, there would have had to have been a a St. Haladon or a Petaluma, some the consumer would have had to have recognized a brand on the list to make sure it was a good wine to validate it. That's not the case anymore. It's very, very different. People want diversity. They want to try something different. They want to be kind of, I feel they want to be pushed into a kind of direction where they learn, you know. So I just thought it, it's it's interesting. You think there is, I don't think there is. It'd be interesting to see
1: what the listeners well yeah think. but it's it's all it all comes down to different markets. And yeah, I think there's there's still wine lists that are it's interesting what you say about how the wine list um I don't think we've we've done a full episode on writing a wine list because like you said, you might have you might have had to once once upon a time put um a, a brand name on there to give it legitimacy. But mm. Now it's sort of so. There's so much competition out there. You know, there's oh, it's almost good. it's almost cooler not to put something on there that people can identify, and that's yeah. why they do it. It's because they want to look cool. You know, I like bands that you haven't even formed yet. Is the is the classic, "I'm um, too cool for school" T-shirt. You know, I I I appreciate wine blends that. don't even exist it's the same sort of thing um anyway it'll be interesting to see if people people probably don't want to say that they're brand loyal that nobody likes to be have the idea that they're they're stuck to one they're wedded to one product but
0: well because it's interesting and we don't have time today but the, the uh appendix to that is if you are brand loyal has has the brand evolved? Has the, has your palate evolved? Like, obviously, nothing's changed, or has something changed? Like, that's the addendum to that, really. Uh, episode six, way back in 2021, we did a whole episode devoted to wine prices and getting the best out of your wine list. Um, but yeah, we we did, haven't gone further into that and discussed on how to write a wine list, but we can um moving on luke morris just quickly as we uh wrap this episode up welcome back by the way great to have you back i've missed you <laughs>
1: um
0: what have you been refreshing your palate with
1: uh not rose from Pinot Noir, which is what the question was going to be. Uh, what happened to rosé for Pinot Noir? Yep. Uh, Pinot Noir prices, making straight Pinot Noir, is much, 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 more profitable than turning it into rosé. Uh, ah, yes. Pin, Pinot, the cost of Pinot Noir fruit is huge. I'll give you an example. Recently, Uh tasted a wine that tasted fine, good wine. It was rosé made from Merlot why because merlot fruit is really cheap so they don't mind turning that in. you don't label it as rosé merlot you just label it as rosé and um that's fine and people will drink it because it tastes like rosé nothing wrong with the nothing wrong with the wine but that's why you don't see a lot in australia pinot noir rosé because it's far more profitable to make it as a wine um
0: yes i hope that i hope that has answered uh, the question there, and beyond that, like rosé, pinot noir, sparkling rosé from Champagne is highly sought after. Oh, so like if yeah. you think of, think of Krug rosé or Billcart rosé, or you know any of those great producers. All of those pinks, as they're referred to, are very, very expensive. Good, uh, good answer. Quick fire answer. I like it mm. to um, Anthony from Morn's question there. Well done, Luke Morris. <laughs> I was breezing over that. But that is a quick fire answer. I like it.
1: And and quickly, what have I been drinking? A spat lace with some fatty meats. Because, yum. Uh, yum. What have you been drinking, Campbell?
0: I have been drinking Nebbiolo. Would you believe it? I uh, had the presence of mind to open a bottle recently with my spaghetti over the weekend. And it just, it's just one of those things that just took me back to just how good nebbiolo can be it was an aged nebbiolo uh albeit from italy from the lungay region and it was just outstanding (laughs) uh there are some there are some nebbiolos on my site of course i love nebbiolo is probably one of if not my favorite variety uh i love it in whatever shape or form it comes whether it's from the lungay whether it's from the new world I just love it. Nebbiolo, N E double B I O L O, Italian variety from the north of Italy, mainly responsible for Barbaresco and Barolo. But I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. He's been Luke Morris. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find us on the socials (laughs) at Luke's Talk Wine or me at vinified underscore wine underscore services. He at Luke Morris. Ha! And in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now.
1: Would you like to be smarter and do good in the world? Luke Morris here. I sold out shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with the Wine Science Show. And now that show is in book form. It's only $15 and 100% of profits go to charity. So donate and learn and laugh with the Wine Science Show book. Go to LukeMorrisHa.com.au or follow the link in the Luke's Talk Instagram bio.